way, no way. I just can't believe it. It's too good to be true. What are you talking about? What's too good to be true? Didn't you hear about Tabby's grandma? Tabby's grandma? What about her? Well, you heard that she was sick, right? Yeah. How's she doing? Well, she died. She died? Yep, she died. Kicked the bucket. Bought the farm. But, oh, Dory, this is our friend's grandma you're talking about. Have some compassion. Gave up the ghost. Dead as a doornail. We all saw it. Like I said, it's too good to be true. Dory, how could you say that? Wait, what? Too good to be true? What are you talking about? She died, but she didn't stay dead. She didn't what? She didn't stay dead. I mean, it was all tragic and stuff. Tears all around. Funeral flowers and whatnot. But then this super religious dude came, and boom, funeral canceled. I hope they didn't cancel the pickles and cold cuts, though. Those are, <laughs> those are good with a resurrection party just as much as a funeral, right? Dory, I don't understand. Start over from the beginning, slowly. Okay, deep breaths, got it. So, you know Tabby's grandma, right? Yeah, Auntie Tabitha. She always asks us to call her that. She's so nice. I know, right? Everybody thinks so. Well, anyway, she got sick a while ago. Something like anemonomica? An ammonia? Maybe she caught it from cleaning too much or something. You mean pneumonia. It's an infection of the lungs. Well, look at you, all doctory and stuff. Am I telling the story, or are you? Go on. Well... The ammonia in her lungs, it must have gotten really bad. My mom was so worried about her, she went over there almost every day. She stayed right there for two days straight at the end. So yesterday morning, my mom came in and told us that it was all over. Auntie Tabitha had gone and passed away. Oh my. I know, right? Everybody was so sad. They put on their mourning clothes and called the rabbi. My mom said she had to go wash the body. I guess the ammonia wasn't good for cleaning up after all? Sure, we'll go with that. Keep going. Well, I wanted to go help with the washing, but Mom said I'm not old enough for that kind of thing. But I did get to go over later, and all the ladies from the whole town were crowded into the house, everybody crying and saying the most lovely things about what a great woman Auntie Tabitha was and all. I hope you say nice things about me like that when I'm dead, won't you? This isn't about you, Dory. Focus. Get to the unbelievable part. Well, I heard these two guys talking. They said there was some famous preacher man over in Lydda, some kind of priest or sorcerer or something. Peter A. something. They said they've heard that he's been doing miracles all over the place. Lydda's only like a three-hour walk, so they left last night to go see if this Peter A. guy would come to help. Not like anybody thought he would bother, because, like, what's he going to do to help a dead old lady? Dory, have some respect. Well, I told you this is a happy story in the end, so save your respect for someone who needs it. Anywho, this Peter dude, Peter Postle, that was his name. Peter Apostle. He should think about going into the mail business with a name like that. Anywho, like I said, we didn't think he would come, but he did come this morning, and all the ladies told him about Tabitha, showed him all of the clothing that she made. Yeah, Auntie Tabitha made me this shirt. Quite a design, very futuristic, don't you think? Yep, she's definitely ahead of the times. So they showed Peter all the stuff that she made for us and told her about how awesome she was and how much she meant to all of us. She's amazing. And then, oh my, this was the best part. My mom walked right up to Peter and said, well? Well, what? That's what Peter said, well, what? And my mom, she's so cool. She goes, well, miracle man, what are you going to do about it? Whoa. I know, right? Well, 
Peter gets this funny look on his face and says, okay, okay, take me to her and let's see what happened. So what happened? I'm not really sure how it all went down, but Peter and my mom went up to the stairs to where Auntie Tabitha's body was. Mom told me that Peter said a simple prayer, asked God to bring Tabitha back to us, and then he said, Tabitha, get up. And she did? She did. She got up. She got up, walked down the stairs, and started giving everybody hugs. It was so cool. We were like stunned, you know? Didn't know whether to laugh or cry or cheer or what. Whoa, me either. So, Auntie Tabitha is really alive? You're not just making it up? I was there, man. Saw the whole thing. Like I said, it's too good to be true. But you gotta believe me. I think I do. So what now? I don't know. Keep on living, I guess? I mean, all of this on a Tuesday? Do you think this is what life is really like? I hope so. I mean, if this is possible, who knows what could happen? I'm so overwhelmed. I'm speechless. Uh, speechless? Speechless. You know, the kind of speechless with all the words still attached. <laughs> that sounds about right. Hey, did you say something about pickles and cold cuts? I did. Let's go see. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. Now in Joppa there was a disciple, a woman named Tabitha, Dorcas in Greek, who never tired of doing kind things or giving to charity. About this time she grew ill and died. They washed her body and laid her out in an upstairs room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples sent two couriers to Peter with the urgent request, please come over to us without delay. Peter set out with them as they asked. Upon his arrival, they took him upstairs to the room. All the townswomen who had been widowed stood beside him weeping and showed him the various garments Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter first made everyone go outside, then knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, stand up. She opened her eyes and then looked at Peter and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her to her feet. The next thing he did was to call in those who were believers, including the widows, to show them that she was alive. This became known all over Joppa, and because of it, many came to believe in Jesus Christ. It's never occurred to me to ask for a resurrection. I've planned lots of funerals. I've sat around plenty of rooms where family and friends have told stories about how much their deceased loved one meant to them. They've showed me pictures and cried tears, passed around the things that their person has made, just like the friends of Tabitha in this story. I've felt the ache of loss, the gigantic hole in an uncertain future, when a pillar of a family or a community is lost. And I felt the denial that comes with that, this can't be happening, and the anger and bargaining and despair. How could this happen? Why did this happen? How could we possibly move on without them? But I've never thought to say, wait a minute, this person matters so much, let's ask God to bring them back. Not seriously anyway, because dead is dead, and gone is gone, and what is done cannot be undone. Those are the facts of life. That's always been true. The ancients weren't naive about mortality and the finality of death. They dealt with death on a much closer basis than most of us modern folks. This wasn't naivete or a lack of sophistication on the part of Tabitha's community. 
They knew what death was. This was a group of widows, after all. And yet, they sent for the Apostle Peter to ask for a resurrection. Where does that kind of hope come from? It doesn't come out of nowhere. That's just blind optimism. Don't confuse hope with denial or gullibility. As Eileen said last week, hope isn't sticking our heads in the sand, blindly embracing the chance that somehow everything will turn out okay. That's not the hope of Tabitha's story. Theirs is hope in action, making choices, having a plan, moving on it, acting in faith. Where does that kind of hope come from? Let's look at Tabitha's story for some clues. This story is told in the book of Acts, as Jesus' followers were beginning to spread out in the first few years after his death and resurrection. Tabitha lived in Joppa, which is near modern Tel Aviv, about a two-day journey by foot from Jerusalem. So this was Jewish territory, but as a port city, it was a fairly metropolitan as well, so there would have been a large Greek-speaking community there. The narrator describes Tabitha as a disciple, a student follower of the way of Jesus, and there seems to be a significant community of Jesus followers in Joppa. Joppa's close enough to Jerusalem that it's possible that Tabitha or others in her community were part of Jesus' disciples while he was alive. But it seems more likely that this was a group of people who had heard the stories secondhand. And so they, their church, their community, was an offshoot of the young church in Jerusalem. Because Tabitha is connected with a group of widows, and because her husband's name is not given, it's usually assumed that Tabitha herself was a widow, although that's not definitive. The most emphasized detail that the writer gives is that Tabitha never tired of doing kind things or giving to charity. Here again, we're not sure exactly what that looked like, and there's lots of scholarly speculation about what that might have meant. Some paint the picture of a kindly, wealthy, older widow who gave generously to the poor. Perhaps Tabitha was even one of the wealthy female benefactors that used their income and status in the merchant class to support the church and the missionary travels of the apostles. Others paint Tabitha as more of a working class woman, a weaver, a seamstress who used her skills to make and repair garments for those who could not otherwise afford them. Part of the community, but just a really good person with a big heart. Others suggest that this community is described as a textile collective, that Tabitha was a leader of a group of widows who worked together to weave or sew to provide for themselves. In this scenario, she wasn't just a nice person. She was organized and essential to the financial stability of the community. So maybe she was resurrected not because she was nice, but because her presence was vital and saving her life saved the whole community. The other piece is this unusual detail of her two names. A woman named Tabitha, or in Greek, Dorcas. As of course you know, Tabitha is Aramaic for gazelle, and the Greek word for gazelle is Dorcas. More significant than the meaning of her name is that apparently she was called by both. A couple of chapters earlier um, in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem had a falling out because of a group of widows, similar to this one. Because of the low status of women, most widows had no way to earn money and care for themselves, so they depended on the charity of others. Among the Jesus followers, they collected and distributed food daily to everyone who needed it, especially the widows. 
And in Acts chapter 6, the conflict broke out between the Gentile Greek-speaking followers and the Jewish Aramaic-speaking followers. The Gentile disciples complained that their widows were being neglected, that the Jewish widows were getting served first, and so there was nothing left for the Gentile widows. This was a big conflict at the time, threatening to divide the church. So the church leaders did what church leaders do, and they formed a committee to take care of the problem. In this case, it worked, and everyone's widows were taken care of in Jerusalem. But this was just the, the symptom of a, this larger divide between the Jesus, among the Jesus followers. There were separate communities of Jewish and Gentiles, and there was conflict that would break out in those, um, in those communities for decades. Greek speakers on one side, Aramaic speakers on the other. So it's significant that here is this woman, Tabitha slash Dorcas, who is known by two names one in Aramaic and one in Greek. It seems that she walked in both worlds, so much that she was known and respected by both sides, a bridge person, a community connector. We aren't actually told whether she was a Jew or a Gentile, because apparently in her life, that didn't matter. So that's what we know about Tabitha. Not a whole lot, really, but some significant details. So where is the hope in this story? Obviously, the resurrection part is rather hopeful, even to a cynic like me. But it didn't start there. The hope began much earlier. Jesus talked about his own death and resurrection in this way. If you want to come after me, you must deny your very self. Take up your cross and follow in my footsteps. If you would save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. What would you gain if you were to win the whole world but lose yourself in the process? That's a nice tagline to Tabitha's story. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. She gave what she had to her community, and it was her own life that was saved. Tabitha's story makes for an interesting parallel to the story of Ananias and Sapphira a couple of chapters earlier, earlier in the book of Acts. You remember this one. In the early church in Jerusalem, generosity was trending. Many Jesus followers were selling their property and their possessions and giving everything that they had to the common purse of the church. A bunch of beatnik hippie commun communists, I tell ya. Anyway, there was this one couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property and donated the money to the church, except that they kept back part of the money and only made it look like they donated everything but they got busted. The Apostle Peter was the authority figure in this story as well, and he called them on their lie. First, Ananias came to Peter and gave him the money, and Peter said, is this all that, all that, there, all that there is? And Peter, Ananias said, yeah, this is what, we've, what we got for it. Peter called his bluff and told him that he had not lied to people, but he was lying to God. And on the spot, Ananias dropped dead. A few hours later, Sapphira came looking for her husband, and Peter again asked, is this the amount of money that you paid for the property? And she joined Ananias in the lie, saying, yes, this is the full amount. And again, Peter called her out on that, and this time, Sapphira dropped dead in an instant. It's a horrible story. You might think twice when the offering plate comes around today. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not what this is about. Like, Seriously, that's not what this is about. It's not about the size of the gift. Peter didn't care how much they gave. Not everybody was contributing to the common purse like that. It wasn't about the size of the gift. 
And it wasn't even about the lie. This isn't God's punishment for their lack of generosity or truth-telling. This is a living parable. Their deaths were the natural end of their choices. If you are living for yourself, if you're trying to save yourself, you're not living. Self-centered living is the path to the grave. Self-preservation, protectionism, holding on tightly to what you have, that's the path to despair. Hope is the opposite. The life of Tabitha freely lived in the service of others. She didn't ask for her life to be saved, but it was. If you would save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. What would you gain if you were to win the whole world but lose yourself in the process? This is a common passage in the Mennonite world, and some of us have learned to hear those words with a grim sense of duty. Grit your teeth and shoulder the cross. I've got to drag this thing around in the name of Jesus. Sacrifice myself for the good of others. Tabitha's story invites us to remember that this is good news. This is the path to life, not a slavish duty now to earn a reward in the afterlife, but the path to life and fulfillment, fulfillment and goodness now. And that's where this becomes a story of hope. Tabitha had hope for her community. That's why she gave of herself to them. We don't usually give to people or situations that we believe are truly hopeless. To give is an act of belief. To believe that, it, that this gift is going to do some good, that's an act of hope. So Tabitha's good work was an act of hope, and that hope took root in her people, and it grew to something that none of them could have predicted. Anne Lamott writes this. In the face of increased climate-related catastrophes, after I pass through the conviction that we are doomed and these are the end times, I remember what Mr. Rogers' mother said. In times of disaster, we look to the helpers. Look to the volunteers and aid organizations clearing away the rubble, giving children's vaccines. We look to planes and trains and ships bringing food to the starving. We take the action, soup kitchens, creek restoration, mentoring, and then the insight follows that by showing up with hope to help others, I'm guaranteed that hope is present. Then my own hope increases. By creating hope for others, I end up awash in the stuff. We create goodness in the world and that gives us hope. We plant bulbs in the cold, stony dirt of winter and our aging arthritic fingers get nicked, but we just do it. And a couple of months later, life blooms as daffodils, paper whites, tulips. This is Tabitha's story. She lived for others, an act of hope that brought life to her people and ultimately life back to Tabitha. By showing up with hope to help others, I'm guaranteed that hope is present. Then my own hope increases. By creating hope for others, I end up awash in the stuff. Indeed. This week I was at a meeting with a person who works at the Friendship Inn on 20th Street. This Thursday they celebrated 50 years since the Friendship Inn opened its doors. I believe they've been at the same location the whole time. I learned that the Friendship Inn was created by a group of Christian churches who wanted to do something together to help feed hungry people. So they pulled together all their connections, 
across denominational lines, I believe. It started as a Catholic program, but quickly included many other churches. So they recruited 52 churches to each provide volunteers to run the meal program for one week every year. So they had one paid staff person organizing the whole thing and 52 churches responsible for one week a year. And that's how the Friendship Inn provided food for their community for 15 years. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I can't imagine that the leaders who started the, the Friendship Inn had a 15-year commitment in mind, let alone a 50-year legacy. I'm guessing it was a lot messier, a lot of scrambling to find churches who would commit to even one year's worth of service, a lot of pulling people together, oh, who's on for next week? Okay, sure, that was good, so we'll do it again next year. This kind of work takes an incredible amount of hope, and it gives hope, practical hope, to the tune of a thousand meals a day. When you show up to give and serve, hope is present because you brought it. And hope multiplies. The Friendship Inn was the seed for several other community agencies as well. Their food hamper program grew into what is now the Saskatoon Food Bank and Learning Center. They also started at the Friendship Inn offering basic legal aid services, and now that's its own thing as well. Hope grows. As we read from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, we even rejoice in our afflictions. We know that affliction produces perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and character hope. And such a hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know much affliction in my life, but when I do get a small taste or even see it in the world around me, I tend to want to jump straight from the affliction part to the hope part. Like if it's hard, well then I start whining and I'm wondering what's the point? Where's the hope? Might as well go home if it's hard. Can't save the planet by myself, so why bother trying? But it's affliction, then perseverance, then character, then hope. That's the progression. If you want hope in the face of affliction, first you show up stubbornly to serve, even when you don't know where it's going to lead. And in doing that, you become a person who serves. And from there, well, look at that. You've brought enough hope into the room that it's, some of it is bound to spill over onto you. And it turns out the whole thing was an act of love, an act of the Spirit of God. So I'm grateful for the Tabithas among us, the faithful ones who may not know how it's all going to turn out, but do the good work that's right in front of them anyway, from sewing to organizing to conflict resolution and more. I don't know how many resurrections they've performed, but I've definitely seen the hope that gives life at work in our midst. So what might this look like for you? I don't know, you tell me. What's one situation where you can bring the hope to the party by acting in service of someone else? I have baskets with little pieces of fabric on them, and I'm going to invite you to take one as a reminder of Tabitha's story of hope. You can put it in your pocket or your purse this week, and when you see it, remember this promise. By showing up with hope to help others, I'm guaranteed that hope is present. Then my own hope increases. By creating hope for others, I end up awash in the stuff. May it be for you and for us this week.
Toss. 